Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. We're going live on YouTube and on audio. You can also find us as well, but later on after we record this, it's a, as Rob puts it, emergency podcast because <laughs> uh, things are happening at United. Not officially. We still don't have a official full ratification of every single thing around Sir Jim Ratcliffe's 25% takeover of United, but we have some developments. The Dan Ashworth thing that we've been talking about since December could well be happening. Looks like he wants it to happen. It's a case of compensation with Newcastle United and also Jason Wilcox as well. Remember him, Rob? Premier League player. Used to play for Leeds. Premier League winner. Premier League winner. I think it's one of those players. You can use the words wand of a left foot as well. Uh, I remember him scoring some. He was he was definitely left footed, wasn't he? I think he got an England cap, didn't he? I think he got like yeah, he one did. or two or something like that. But uh, but yeah, no, he was he was he was a half decent player. He was a good player. He was a good player. Mm. Been at Man City as well. How much did Omar Barada have to do with that one? I have to ask. Seems like that is uh, an Omar Barada appointment, given he's just come from City as well, or is on his way in. Uh, from Man City. Jason Wilcox is at Southampton at the moment, broken earlier today that United might give him a high-ranking job within their structure. But yes, as I mentioned, we're live on YouTube. So if you are watching us live on YouTube, please get involved in the comments. I'm seeing Ben McManus already say, late start. Now, this is really part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. You know it, Ben. Uh, We always have to do that. Rajiv saying, Scott is late. (laughs) How did you know? Yes, it was me. It's my fault. I'm sorry. And Ben, again, are we are we a serious football club again? Now, Rio Ferdinand famously went, put leave a blank check, let him write his number down, put the contract on the table for Ollie. Might have been a bit premature. Um, but I, I felt like there's times recently where I've thought, I actually think, you know, I think the banter era might be coming to an end. I actually do. And obviously there will be results where United still, they could lose at Luton on on Sunday. They they really could. Um, But I feel like longer term, we're going to be looking at a football club now that actually is serious about wanting to win stuff. And that is music to your ears, Rob, probably. I'm sure. Definitely, definitely. Look, that's that's my little catchphrase about what do you do to be a serious football club? It's kind of one of the things that I repeat and rabbit over and over again about. Um, yes, look, it starts with these appointments. The reason why we call this, say, an emergency podcast is because things are happening, as you said, not official. Like, you know, we can't go out there and say this has happened right now, but we know it's happening. So we thought, right, we're going to jump on here talk to our audience. We were due to do our podcast anyway, weren't we, at some point here, Scott, for our next one. So we thought we'd go live with everyone uh, and do a show and speak about these these imminent appointments that Manchester United have been strategizing behind the scenes to try and get finished as quick as possible. Uh, and I think we're about to hear announcements in the very near future. Yeah. Um, I think Barada was the key here. I know he's obviously not started at United yet, but... It's a way of doing things properly. We've known about Ashworth since December. Incidentally, yeah. we've we've been talking about that. Uh, we broke that at Night in on, I believe, the 8th of December that Dave Brilsford wanted to bring him in. Yeah. And obviously, the desire to bring him in was strong enough for it to appear that he was only, he was only ever the one candidate that they wanted. Now, if he had not wanted this job, maybe they would have looked at other people. But... Looks like Ashworth. Looks like that'll happen. I'll get onto a compensation bit in a in a little while. We'll also get some comments from you guys. Nick says, "I know nothing of the guy we're getting from Southampton. Hopefully, I can be educated on his merits. We'll talk about him later in the show. I think we'll maybe go in the order of uh, maybe Will, maybe Rat Ratcliffe Wilcox." Who's the other guy I'm talking about? What did I just say? Dan Ashworth. We'll talk about Dan Ashworth first (laughs) uh, and talk through what's going to happen there. On to Wilcox. We'll get your questions in if you're listening to us and uh, get in touch with us as well. Uh, Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube. 
the Promise Land uh, Manchester United podcast. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment for us and pop the notification bell on so you never miss a show. And follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders on X, Instagram, TikTok, at underscore Rob underscore B on X and YouTube and at TPL MUFC on Twitter as well. Really appreciate all the support and love you send our way. Uh, tell your mates about the podcast as well. If, they, if they're United fans or even if they're not, just let them, let them know that this is a podcast that they should listen to. And uh, we're going to tell you about Jason Wilcox. So, um, yeah. Great stuff. Exciting day. Impromptu emergency pod. I've been talking for ages, Rob. Sorry. My turn. <laughs> no, look. You, Dan Ashford, let's go. Go back to the, let's go back to the beginning because uh, there's no doubt that we spoke about that on our podcast before anyone else. There's no doubt about that. We talked about Dan Ashworth a long, long time ago before any of the other mainstreams picked it up. Um, something that obviously 90 Min reported. Um, and I remember when we had conversations, Scott, and this is kind of revealing all what we chat about behind the scenes here, is that I remember when we first spoke about it, I said, there's no way to get him. No way. There's no way Dan Ashworth with the kind of project that he's got in Newcastle, with the money that's on the table, with the people who are behind that project. I, was, I think I said something like, Dave Brailsford needs to be some kind of wizard to get that one finished and over the line. There's no way it was going to happen. And here we are now, just well, maybe three months on, I think, from we first ever spoke about it and turned it into something into the world, that we're on the brink. And it's I'm, I am surprised, there's no doubt about it. I think to be, that to be able to sell this project to to someone like Dan Ashworth with his kind of reputation as well about how he takes on projects. It's a huge coup for Manchester United, you know, absolutely for him to come in as a sporting director and be the guy that's going to oversee all of this. Now um, the position of strength that it puts Manchester United in Scott is unprecedented. We've not seen that in 10 years is that the boardroom is finally a serious boardroom. Finally got people in there that know football, know how to attract the right players and know how to build a football project. Kerwin says, since we're live, I think we deserve a hot take. Man United are back. <laughs> oh, not that's yet. A hot take. If in, in time, in time, I think we will get a, a football club that acts like Liverpool and Arsenal sensibly. And that is all I... Obviously, I want United to win the league, but I think the landscape is a lot different now. There's a lot of teams on even footing. If United mm. are back at that even footing table, they will win. they will win trophies. Like, if you've got somebody who a lot of people, if uh, do your do your research into Dan Ashworth, like look at what other people have said about him. A lot of people within the game have been asked the question about him, and he's just generally referred to as the best sporting director in in the country and one of the best around. And if other clubs could pick him, that he would be or pick one, he'd be top of their list. And he only really seems to go towards projects that he thinks he can make a difference in, feels like he has control in. One of, the, one of the suggested reasons why he's looking at potentially leaving Newcastle is because of a bit of uh, friction with Eddie Howe. Obviously, he was brought in after Eddie Howe uh, was employed as manager and obviously Eddie Howe has been tied up in certain... He has responsibilities that maybe should fall under Ashworth, so that's going to leave you know a bit of friction there. Mm. Um, but I think for me, I as soon as we reported this story, I thought it would happen. Like, I, I just... You know that old, this is Manchester United? It's a bit arrogant. But the appeal of... And I would put Liverpool in this as well. Like, when Jurgen Klopp went to Liverpool, I think that uh, ability to restore a club like Liverpool to the status he's got them to has a lot of appeal. But Jurgen Klopp turned down United before he joined Liverpool. Hmm probably because of what he saw upstairs and the people he was meeting and how serious they were about football. But completely. now it seems that has completely pivoted. So if there's people who are unsure about, it's only 25%, how much can he actually change? Turns out he can actually change a lot. Because we've been talking about like the football operation. There's a lot of commercial stuff, which is going to come into it as well under Ratcliffe and Brailsford's uh, responsibilities. But it feels like the statements they've been making so far with Barada, um, with Ashworth, Wilcox, we'll get on to Wilcox in a bit. He's got a really good reputation, really, really good. Uh, and I've heard about the, the work that he's done at City in the past few years. There's some academy players that are in City's first team and Chelsea's first team now that he has helped 
bring to the fore. Um, what job he'll do is unclear yet. But you, if you're building a, uh, a group of people who know football, who know the Premier League, who know how to get clubs really performing and maximizing their levels, then you, you've made a really, really good start here. And I think there's only, if you're making changes like this, it will be only a matter of time until that knowledge and that um, coherence shows up on the pitch. Completely. The, yeah. Go on, Sorry, man. Scott. Um, yeah, I, th I think the whole thing as well, this is why we've said this about sign-ins. You know, the first thing you need to do is sign the right boardroom. You know, you need the executives to do this job for years and years to come, Scott. isn't It's no good just going and signing tomorrow's flavour of the month footballer. Like, that is what Man United have done for 10 years. And guess what? It hasn't worked. We've watched it fail week after week after week after week. So as you said there, Dan Ashworth, like uh, credit to you, Scott, you did from day one, you said to me, I think they can get this done. And I was completely skeptical. I was like, mm, I understand why they would go for Dan Ashworth. Like I've had experience with him in the past. Uh, I've met him previously when he worked for the FA and was working with England. And, and he's always been a guy that has this incredible kind of front and center reputation. Everyone always, always likes him. Everyone likes what he does. He's not one of these kind of skullduggery characters. He likes to kind of put it all front and centre. He's a football guy and he has incredible knowledge of footballers. And that's how he's built his reputation over so many years. And that's the beauty of this, Scott, with, with the appointment of Ashworth, is that he's ready for this kind of challenge. Like, he's been in the game a long time. And I remember when I met him, he was even kind of a bit kind of, I don't know, kind of like green behind the ears in those days. Like it was still, he still was young and, you know, ambitions and all of this. Well, to get to the stage where he is now, he's really jumped the hurdles. He really has. And he's without doubt considered one of the the elite sporting directors in world football. There's, there's no doubt about it. Newcastle went for him because they got all the money in the world and they wanted the best. And they went and got the best. And you kind of have to give Newcastle credit for that. But the fact that Ineos have gone this route, Scott, and that Jim Ratcliffe has gone right, this is the guy we need. There's also the connection, of course, with, with Dave Brailsford and uh, and Ashworth. And so obviously, they know each other, and there's a mutual respect there. But I also think the appointment of Barada was a turning point, because I think when you go get someone like that from Man City, you're telling the world what you really are going to do, aren't you? You're like, there's no one off limits. We can get who we want. We are Manchester United. This is not the Glazers. This is not the Glazer football club that you've all seen for years. This is now the Jim Ratcliffe side of it. And this is how we do business. So um, a, a, a monumental appointment to come. And as you said, we'll talk about Wilcox as well. And a little bit about Paul Mitchell. We've talked about quite a bit on our show previously and about why that is not happening. Um, all of that kind of uh, melts into one big melting pot. Yeah, let's jump to the comments. Uh, ben again, Ben McMahon is saying it's a real statement of intent. Uh, Andy Moore says, love the Stone Roses Man United combo, which Rob was sporting on the last show. And again, he says, it's about time our club started acting like a serious club. Love the podcast, lads. Uh, the strong man, Steve. Fair play. Yeah, look, you look very strong, Steve, to be fair. Um, we've been, and I'm not being sarcastic there, you look, look good, Nick. You look strong. Uh, you look strong. Uh, we've been demanding infrastructure and change in the club for years. Mm. Now it's actually happening. Fans will still need to be patient. It's only the beginning. Yes, you need to retain patience. Like when I say that United are on their way back, I'm not saying that they'll instantly win everything. I'm saying mm. that they're back in, that their intent is back, their ability to operate will be back. And we've been sitting here for a decade saying, oh, it's the manager's fault. Well, no, there's a reason, there's a common theme why all these managers have failed. And it's mm. because they don't have the, no the knowledge and the know-how above them. And now it seems like you can have too many cooks in the kitchen, but it, it seems like the structure has been identified. These are the, the, ro the roles we want to fill. And they're looking at, Gary Neville uses this term a lot. I think it's... Uh, overdone in a sense but it's still right best in class mm. you know you put in somebody who's been at man city for a, a long time has seen how that operation works he works a lot alongside soriano he knows all the tricks he's talked about budgets um he's been 
part of the team that signed Erling Haaland. Uh, he was the one who picked up Echeverry, who's just going to join City in the coming years uh, from River Plate as well. And we know that we United have gone head-to-head with City for transfers in the past. I include Harry Maguire in that. I include Alexis Sanchez in that. United got both players. And I know we're, Harry Maguire is going through a good moment, but City thought, nah, 18 million is a bit too much. And United thought, nah, actually, we'll do it. And then it turns out that that 80 million price tag, <clears throat> not the same for all players, but for some, it can be a lot. It can, weigh, mm. it can weigh you down. And I think Maguire has been compared to that price tag his whole time. So it's obviously affected the expectation levels and his performance levels. Alexis Sanchez was an unmitigated disaster, which he avoided and United took. And it took yeah. him took them ages and ages to get, get the contract off. It, you know, it's uh, how much, how successful you are on the pitch it's not always it's not always about what you see on the pitch. It's about what you do from the very top. And we've been talking about this for years. It's what you do from the very top and how that manifests on the pitch. Because if you make good decisions out off the pitch, <clears throat> eventually it'll translate to on it. Sorry, I'm gonna cough, Rob. You take over. <laughs> now so one of one of the comments there is uh, says in layman terms, you know, can you guys explain why this is a prize scoop? So I'll I'll try and do that while you have a good cough, Scott, because I, I like a good cough after, you know, during the show. I normally put myself on mute and cough away as people can see me uh, there. So let's just talk about that. I, I think when you think about a structure of any business, and I don't want this to sound boring like a business exam or whatever, but the whole point is, is that whatever happens on your shop floor in your businesses, it always comes from the top. The direction comes from the top. So we all, we're all interested in the sport, aren't we? Or football. We all want to see Man United win football matches and we get enthused about footballers, don't we? And the ball going in the net. That's what we do it for. That's why we're there. That's why I'm at Old Trafford every week. But the truth is, is that it doesn't just happen. It never just happens. It comes from infrastructure. It comes from the very, very top. And that trickle-down effect is massive in football. And we've seen that. Of all the trophies that have been won in the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, it's always come from a board that know what they're doing. And Scott, also, like some of the success that we see around, like we'll talk a little bit about Brighton as well, because there's the Dan Ashworth link there, is that Brighton took that advice. Brighton went, well, we're a team that want to stay in the Premier League. We're, we're a nothing club. We were like 40 years down not so long ago. And, you know, how do we achieve this? How do we make sure that we stay in this division? Because that's that's our long-term survival. And they adopted the strategies that get you to the very top. And where are they now? They're in a much healthier position. So, when we talk about Man United and we talk about the issues, is that we completely know that the toxicity of the football club came from the ownership because this ownership could not have attracted a Dan Ashworth if they'd offered him all the money in the world. No Rob, chance. Even like in like crediting, I think it was Laurie Whitwell from the Athletic today with uh, some other some other colleagues put a, a feature out about this. Hmm. They tried to bring in Ashworth before he went to Newcastle, yeah. but. The the reason why they didn't he didn't stick with it is because he had to report to John Murta. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> you know, like this, and obviously now he's getting the job that he wanted, but mm. that was the job he wanted previously. Uh, sorry, I just interrupted you there, but you no, you're right. Of... No, no, you're totally right. You're right to jump in because I, I think the whole point of it is is that is that the Glazers have had aspirations to do certain things over a long period of time. They've never, ever been able to do it because of two things. They haven't got the expertise and no one respects them. That's a problem. And this is why I said all along that when Jim Ratcliffe kind of came on the scene and Qatar was talked about and, you know, talking about kind of buying the football team rather than the football club, always said that for him to be able to do that, the first thing was to convince the Glazers that they can do it better than them than the family. Now, I don't think that actually took much much convincing, but I think as soon as you kind of sit there and say, right, first thing we're doing is we're getting Omar Barada from Man City, it changes everything, <laughs> completely changes the whole look of the football club and what your aspirations are. And now you're going to go and get, you know, the best sporting director, certainly in the Premier League, but as I said, one of the best in the world. And then it's going to trickle down again. You're going to go and get someone who will either be your head of recruitment or called a director of football. It doesn't really matter what they're called. And then you've already got Dave Brailsford. You've already got Jim Ratcliffe. You've already got Jean-Claude Blanc. This is a real powerhouse of executives that have only got one thing in common, Scott. They want to win. They're obsessed with it. So this is where we had to go. We had to, we had to go this way. 
and this is also why I said many times I didn't want Man United to be a prized asset for a nation state because, yeah, you get all the money. That's great. But you don't get this. You don't get the infrastructure. And it comes later on. Um, so all credit to Ineos because I think this is this is the right route and I think this is the right guy. And I think that they'll make the right decisions, Scott. Like, this will now lend in, in future weeks, months, won't it, when we do our show about what happens with Eric Ten Hag, because it's all about, is Ten Hag going to fit in with what they want to do? And I actually think he kind of does. Like He's that kind of coach systematically. You know, I think he could work with him, but we don't know that yet, do we? So, um, yeah, it's a very exciting day, I think, and, and future appointment, because this is the guy, I think, that, that can lead this project. He's the guy who's going to be in-house day after day after day, helping the whole structure at Man United and making sure that we're on the right course every single day of the week. Uh, Ronnie Dodge says it would be interesting to see how Ashworth and Barada works. I think the yeah. the way that it's looking, obviously they want to get Barada in as CEO first. That mm. is the, the appointment you should make first and then everything falls underneath it. Of course. And obviously I think the way that it'll work out is Ashworth will report into Omar Barada, but then uh, Ashworth has been quoted as saying before, I think it might have been in one of the interviews, he, he sees himself as like the center of a, a, a wheel basically where people report into in different departments and that includes yeah. the manager includes uh the physio team and includes the scouting team and all that he's like the center of the wheel that brings it all to the center that brings everything together mm. and if one let's say a manager leaves obviously he is at the center of that so he will be able to facilitate a smooth transition to the next guy and also obviously a lot of it will you won't I, I don't think with this anymore you'll see jumps of like jumps from Mourinho style of play to Van Gaal style of play or vice versa. Obviously I'm the other way around, but now you're getting a Man United that is going to do things properly and have a philosophy, whatever that philosophy ends up being, you know, that'll come, that'll become clear in the coming months. And obviously we will see what, how Ten Hag fits into that. Uh, But it feels like United have never acted like a modern football club. No, but this is the this is the turning point, and this is why you can people who say it's only twenty five percent though. It, forget the number; he's got the control. Mm. That and that's the thing, and you're seeing it already within weeks. It's not even all been officially ratified yet, and he's already made two, three key appointments. It's it's a little bit like saying like Omar Brothers on gardening leave and is not doing anything at Man United. Well, yeah, he is. <laughs> he absolutely is. It's just that that's what you have to say to the markets and to to the world because you're not actually allowed to kind of do it. But of course, he's having a big say in all of this. I, I think as well, you're just saying there about Scott about kind of reporting and stuff like this as well. When we talked about the sporting director role at the very beginning, when we talked a lot about Jean-Claude Blanc, didn't we? Now, obviously, Jean-Claude Blanc is... Still with Ineos, he's kind of the Ineos guy, oversees everything at Ineos. And that's the reason why he wasn't brought in to kind of do that sporting role. And I think when you look at at Dan Ashworth, what he's done at Newcastle and kind of his previous roles is that he's also been able to marry the kind of business side and the sporting side together and create these kind of compelling projects. You just said there about, you know, we don't know what the philosophy will be. I actually think we do because we've seen what these people do in their other clubs and their other roles. We know exactly what they do. So yeah, uh, you're you think, right. You're right. You think about Dan Ashworth, and we use the, the the obvious body of work now, and we don't even have to think. Talk about Brighton. Even England had that success in 2018 and and before, and that was all built through Dan Ashworth being there at the FA. Is that when you look at Newcastle United? I think we've all been impressed, haven't we, in the last 12 months of how they've built it. That's how they've done it. They've got to a point in the Champions League already. They haven't really made a stellar signing, really, have they? They've, they've made signings. Stylistically, they've kind of got it right. As you said there, there is some friction between manager there as well with Eddie Howe. I'm not sure how long Eddie Howe stays. Like, again, it depends about results, but that's up to Newcastle. I think when you look at that, they've built that club, haven't they, in the last 12 months on real fundamentals of, you know, being strong defensively or being able to attack at the right time to be able to have a kind of holistic approach on a football pitch. That's the one thing Man United haven't had for 10 years is that it's been fragmented, it's been wild. Yeah, we've won some trophies, won the Europa League, haven't we? Won FA Cups, second in the league. You don't get a trophy for that, do you? But the whole point is, is that, those ceilings were always concrete and not glass. You couldn't smash through them. There were always going to be a problem over the other side because they were, all the other stuff was never rectified. And we always felt that every time we won something, Scott, I'd always think, 
it could be bad next year because all these things are still happening behind the scenes at Man United and it needs to be cured. So this is the cure. The cure is to find people that can do it week after week after week. And, you know, Ashworth is stellar. So when you first put that out there and I said, not sure, the reason why I wasn't sure is because I wasn't sure about Ineos. I wasn't sure about Ratcliffe. I, I was happier with Ratcliffe than I was Guitar. And I said why that was on our show many times. But I wasn't sure that he could convince people to go with him on the journey. I think he's showing that he can. And do you know what as well, Scott? I've seen United fans go on this now. United fans are turning. They're starting yeah. to go, oh, my God. Ineos have got their heart in the right place for Man United. Yeah, Ineos are a terrible petrol company and et cetera, et cetera. There's all sorts of greenwashing issues there. But I think the whole fact of this is, is you've now got a benefactor who's going to put money into the football club to win games. And we've not had that for a long time. We've bought players, but just to sell shirts. That's the truth. And we've lost a lot of football matches, haven't we, Sky, in living memory because of those I, reasons. I've, I've said this a few times in the last 24 hours or so. Ed Woodward once literally said publicly, our, what, our performance on the pitch does not impact what we can do commercially. He has literally said that yeah. when he was CEO. That is alarm bells ringing everywhere. And that, that quote spread like wildfire probably sums up that entire era. If you had to do, pick a sentence or two, that is it. That's it right there. And I'm feeling like people can question Jim's, Sir Jim's motives but and, and look at like, oh, well, Nice finished ninth twice, you know. Well, Jim Ratcliffe isn't the director of football. Jim Ratcliffe isn't going to be the manager. Jim Ratcliffe, and well, Dave Brailsford is doing a lot of the work. Dave Brailsford is the mm. person who's going out. He, and this is an example, I think we put it in the article and we wrote that Ashworth was of interest to Brailsford. Brailsford was invited by Ashworth to Newcastle to do a talk about performance, to, to speak to the squad and a matter of months ago. They, they, they go way back. So I think that is, the personal, the personal element is probably a big part of it, but also mm. the pull of, Hey, this is a Man United structure I can actually perform excellently in. Oh, that that that's really appealing, actually. And if you're convincing people who are some of the best in class people in positions at high fo at good football clubs, Ashworth also worked at the FA. All this, all these England players, all this England, this profile of England player you see nowadays, Phil Foden, Jude Bellingham, these kinds of players. Dan Ashworth, Dan Ashworth was at the FA a decade ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Like that, these, what you're seeing now is the seeds of the things that he, he planted. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Obviously there's Brighton's example. He's been at West Brom and you know, you know, but you're not getting duds here. Not at all. Not at all. And I, and I think this is it. Like when you go back, um, I've worked with England in the past and been to St. George's Park. And I think when I went there in, in before the world cup for the, the Russian world cup, it, it opened my eyes to what the management in the FA sporting-wise and football-wise were doing. And I was shocked because I saw it with my eyes and I was like, oh, wow, this is not old Club England from the days of old with, with the old guys at the very top with the, you know, the 80-year-old guys sat there on the board in the boardroom trying to make these choices about a game that they're out of touch with. This was modern and it felt it. And you were like... I don't know, England could go to this World Cup and could win it. And of course, England got to the semi-final, didn't they? And we're, we're only kind of a hair's breadth away from getting to that final. And that came via partly from Dan Ashworth. This is why he was in so much demand. So I think this is the whole thing is that you can pay lip service to it. Like, you know, any new owner coming in or part owner could come in and just appoint people that are their friends or just kind of, you know, just to kind of, you know, again, create another old boys club, which we see a lot at football and football clubs. But that isn't the agenda here. The agenda here is to win. And we know that Jim Ratcliffe really does see Man United as his legacy. We've said that on our show so many times. So he's going to put the money up to go get the very, very best, not just footballers, but executives. And you know what as well, Scott? This will all marry into Old Trafford as well. You know, you're not going to get a... a a batched up Old Trafford, which just kind of looks all right. You're going to get the best Old Trafford out of this, the best football team and the best executives. So I think it is an exciting day because I think that the whole thing is that, that we've wanted this for so long. We've kind of called for it for so long 
we're suddenly in a position now where better decisions are going to be made by football people. I've said it so many times, let football decisions be made by football people, not accountants. And as soon as you go that route, things can only really be better. Yes, indeed. Uh, a few more comments. Sam Rat saying, finally over the Myrta Madness days. God, I remember those. They were uh, heady days. Is it what will happen with Myrta? Because I, I wouldn't be surprised if Myrta kind of hangs on somewhere. And, you know, he's not going to be in a position of power. You only see in the seats, you know, when we've talked before about Ratcliffe sat there with Sir Alex and, you know, Dave Brailsford and then Murto's kind of skulking behind them somewhere. <laughs> They're not even talking to him. But it's important, isn't it, that if you go forward with a director of football, whoever that might be, is that I don't think Murto's done enough. I said that about Richard Arnold as well. Maybe nice people. I'm not saying they're horrible people. I'm just saying that they're not elite performers. And I think John Murto, unfortunately, he's certainly not shown or created a squad with Eric Ten Hag to say that it's, that he deserves to kind of be in that elite role. Uh, ben McManus says, didn't Nicky Butt leave for the same reason, report, reporting to Murto? Similar. Yes, similar. Yes. Uh, Harrison says, Robin Scott, I know Wilcox and Ashworth are top class in their roles, but is, it, is there any worry about having them step up from smaller clubs to United? In Barada's case, I don't think so. I think that is, um, I know, <laughs> yes, you can say City are a smaller club than United, but they are... Unfortunately, the best football club in the world, no matter how what you think about how they got there currently, they are still there. And they have made, regardless of the support they've had, they have made fantastic decisions. And as United prove, if you have a lot of money, you spend a lot of money and you make bad decisions, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to fail. So I think Barada is a logical step up. He's moving one ring above. He wasn't going to get the CEO job at City as long as Soriano and was there and I think he's looked at this and thought right I fancy that it's a it's a good step up for me Wilcox we'll see we'll see what role he's gonna come in and we'll we'll talk about him later on Ashworth as well mentioned he's been at England he's been at Brighton he's been at Newcastle and you can question maybe the Sandro Tonali sign at Newcastle but is like he's not only doing recruitment he's the one who's making sure everything works and when I is there any worry about having them step up from smaller clubs? I, to me, I don't think that comes into it to me because if you prove that you can do your job properly and you're working in an atmosphere which is about winning and you have competent people around you and you have people who are, look, who are good at their jobs at United who are looking for leadership and looking for guidance, the, the change will be quite stark, quite quick, I think, once everything starts firing. Um. Go on, Rob, if you want to say anything there. Completely. Yeah, look, Sir Alex Ferguson came from Aberdeen. That's all you need to know. So there you go. Yeah, everyone comes from a smaller outfit to Man United because we're the biggest. So that is how it is. And there's no doubt, I think, the pressure at Man United is something completely different to any other football club. But you've got to start somewhere. And I think then it's about body of work. And this is why, you know, we'll talk a little bit about Wilcox in a second. But, but I think when you look at Ashworth, the fact that he's worked at the FA and he's gone to Newcastle, and he's had these stays in the middle at other places. That's more important to me. It's like the, the experience is there, even though he's still you know, relatively a young man. And, and that doesn't worry me at all. Like when you buy a footballer, Scott, you shouldn't really be buying them from a big club to a big club. You should always be buying them from a club that's smaller. You should always be doing that to bring them and elevate them up to your football team. And Man United have made that mistake for, for so many years. When Eric Cantona came to Manchester United, he didn't come from a big club, did he? Well, they're kind of big, aren't they, from across the Pennines. But you just said they're at Man City and Barada as well. It's about opportunity, isn't it? So like, I think he looked at Man City and thought, my time is done here. We've won everything. It's time to kind of try something different, but go somewhere where I can really show my talent. So, no, it doesn't worry me, those things, because I always think the Man United, that, that no one comes from Real Madrid to us today, really, generally. Like, you might get a Di Maria. That didn't work, did it? So, and Barcelona, the same. But after that, who else? Where does where is on... this idea come from, though? When when were United signing players from Real Madrid when Ferguson was there? What do you mean? Like, oh, when they did this it. idea that you need to sign players from big clubs. Like... You don't. You need to buy players who are going to take the step up with you. You well, don't you need to sign world stars. You make world stars. You make you mentioned Ronaldo. the joke in the pack. You mentioned the joke in the pack, Ed Woodward, right? And this is this is why it it got so derided because 
he had this image or Galactico, just as how he thought Manchester United should be. And you mentioned Jurgen Klopp at the top of the show. And Jurgen Klopp, I think, in his autobiography wrote, I met Ed Woodward, and Ed Woodward said to me, Manchester United are the Disney world of football. And he said, I think the minute he told me he was Disney world of football, I wasn't going to Man United. So that's in Jurgen Klopp's opinion. And that's in football's opinion. Like if you want a football project, you ain't going to Disneyland, are you? So I just think that, that that's the whole thing about it is that the Di Maria signing was very much, you know, geared towards United trying to be the Real Madrid of, of the Premier League rather than just being the Man United of the Premier League. And do you know what? When we were just Man United with our own principles, Scott, we were quite good. We used to win it every other year. So this is the whole thing about where you come from and Sir Alex and David Gill and all of these things is that no one's fallible, uh, infallible, Scott. Like people do make mistakes every season. It happens. But it's about having the structure and the foundations. And that's something United have just not had for 10 years. They've just had a hope and a dream. And unfortunately, Richard Arnold was just Edward Woodmark too. Like he, he had some more spiel. He wasn't very good at it, and he didn't know anything about football. That's a real problem in these positions. So this is why I think we're getting like you know, don't get too high, don't get too low. I think we can all be quite high on these appointments because they do mean something in terms of the bigger structure of your project. You don't know, you have to go and shout from the rooftops that United are going to win everything. No, but you can just at least take solace in the fact that Ratcliffe and Brailsford and Ineos have managed to convince people in football that actually we're onto something here. So that should give you as a fan confidence that maybe they know what they're talking about. Like that, that's, that's how I, that's how I think about it. And ever since all this has come about, ever since it emerged that Sir Jim was going to win this race, Mm. my longer term, I felt like there was hope there, you know, whereas if we were continuing down that path, it just seemed like it would never change. But what we needed was the change that we're starting to see. Obviously it'll take time to work out, and maybe they won't get everything right straight away, but they have experience in other football clubs. But what they're doing is they're... If you notice, like Brailsford, Ratcliffe, Blanc, all like Brailsford doesn't have uh, past in football apart from what he's done recent over the past couple of years, but Blanc has worked in po- football for a long time. They were for Ineos, not mm. Man United. Mm. You're, you're starting to see Man United staff come in now, and that's Barada, and that's Ashworth, and that's potentially Wilcox. Just one other thing I wanted to just touch on before we talk about Wilcox <clears throat> from Rayner. Uh, Ornstein's article says that United are prepared to wait for Ashworth instead of paying the compensation fee. Other articles have said the opposite. <clears throat> right, my, my take on this. You spend a lot of money on football players, often too much, but you don't spend money or you're like, ah, oh, no. Nah. That manager costs too much, compensation costs too much. Or that guy who we if we think is integral to all of our players fulfilling their potential, nah, that compensation is a bit too much. No, not for me. Like, I understand you have to haggle your position. You need to like make sure it costs you as least as you possibly you can get it. But at the same time, if you want your project to work properly and you feel this guy is the right guy, you pay it. And that should be that that's more important than the players in a lot of cases. Definitely. I'll fill in the blank from that comment because there, there's a wider scope there. Uh, the whole thing is, there's two things. We've talked about Manchester United's position with FFP and money going in and out the door. So there is that. So there is the thing about, you know, will you pay compensation now? Well, yes, I'm sure Man United wouldn't. I totally agree with you, Scott. That's how you do it. But this is the truth. The truth is that if Dan Ashworth's coming to Man United and goes on gardening leave and is told that he can't do his new job for X amount of time, he will be doing his new doesn't matter. He will be pulling strings behind the scenes in the same way Omar Barada is now tending his garden because he's not allowed to be at Man United. So in business, this is always one of the things that we always laugh at because if you go into a new company, yeah, you might wait and say, well, I'm not, I've got this job to do, but you're still talking to that company, still doing the job. Yeah. So the whole thing with Dan Ashworth is that I'm sure Dan Ashworth has been involved in decision-making for a little while already, even though he's at Newcastle. I can't say that out loud because, you know, <laughs> you're not supposed to. But I think Ornstein's right there in the sense that Man United will look at that. Man United will go, well, do we just pay the money now to get him in in six months and then obviously that hurts our profit and loss? Or do we just let the process play out because he's already talking to us, we're already making decisions with him and 
he'll be gone from Newcastle. He'll be on gardening leave. They can pay him off for that period. And then he can start his new contract in the summer or something like that, or something along those lines. The only reason why they would pay the compensation now to get him into the football club is because they they feel that they need to kind of make something public, a public stance on it. Do you know what I mean? To be able to pay him off, to be, have him in the building because you can't show him off. He can't be at Man United games. We've not seen Omar Barada, have we, since the whole thing. He's just gone on holiday and that's that. But he's still very much in charge. He's, he's the CEO at Man United already in name. So I think that's where we are with that, Scott. And I think that it's a case of Newcastle we're also wanting to save face because who do Newcastle want now is that I think if they get someone and they go, actually, we can get this person today, they might just go, all right, then, hands up, off you go, you know, we'll, compensations, 10 pence or whatever, and out you out the door you go. I don't think the Saudis are going to be too worried about that compensation game. I think it's just more about saving face. Well, Newcastle have their own PSR concerns. And that this will help exactly. that conversation will help alleviate it. We've been yeah. uh, talking about uh, even at the time we we put the the article out in the first place that United or Brailsford wanted wanted Ashworth to come mm. in. Even then we had we didn't put it in the piece, but we had word then that even Newcastle were looking at potential replacements for Ashworth yes. in, in the event that he did go. Yeah. Um, Zakir says, "Hi guys, glad to finally catch up with you live for once." Uh, any truth to us trying to sign Sam Jewell as head of recruitment from Brighton? We'll talk to, talk about that in a second and talk about uh, Jason Wilcox as well. Uh, just another reminder, subscribe if you haven't already uh, to this channel. If you're watching on YouTube, also subscribe on Apple and Spotify, etc. for audio. We also do audio. It doesn't have to always be YouTube. The Promise and the Man United podcast, like the video, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a uh, hit the notification bell for us as well. And at double underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at TPLMUFC for the show as well. Right, Jason Wilcox could also be added into this mix. This news broke earlier today. Mm. Interesting one, this, because like I mentioned at the top of the show, I remember him as a Premier League player. He's pretty good. Pretty good, actually. Yeah. Uh, but he spent a good few years as in, in Manchester City's academy, essentially leading it. And this is an academy which is regarded as one of the world's best academies as it stands. Yeah, They have produced Phil Foden, Rico Lewis, Cole Palmer's one of the best players in the Premier League this season in relativity. Obviously, Chelsea having a bad season, but he's had a good, he's had a good season individually. He came through the Man City Academy. Like, academy football... United's academy is doing pretty well at the moment. The under-18s are doing pretty well. But obviously, yeah. there are... If you have a track record of developing players like that or helping develop players like that chances are you can come in and really help we don't we don't know at the moment which which role he'll be taking up but it's just been referred to as a significant uh role within the hierarchy uh, so we wait and see what the what the developments are there obviously we put in that piece uh in december at the time that we reported that united also want the head of recruitment and yeah. paul mitchell was the name at that point that they wanted has since been emerged over the last since emerged over the last few days. Paul Mitchell will not be taking that job, and I've heard I've heard talk here and there. Julian Ward, Michael Edwards, these kinds of names. You know, obviously, if you're choosing Dan Ashworth, and if Julian Ward or Michael Edwards might feel ah, I I don't want to report him to him. I don't want I want that job for myself, and maybe Paul Mitchell's in that boat as well. Maybe that's what affects it. So you need to find alternatives. And when Sam Jewell's name comes up from Brighton, whatever role Jason Wilcox ends up taking, this pro like like we said in that piece as well, there's going to be a lot of roles. A lot of these, you're going to see a lot of people coming in probably to form this structure, and then everything will fall underneath it. But just maybe Paul Mitchell for a second, Rob. I know you want to talk about him. Yeah, I think like what you said there is exactly what we've talked off behind cameras in months gone by. You just said about Paul Mitchell, is that it's it's about hierarchy and structure. And I think if you're going to go with Dan Ashworth as your sporting director, then the rest of it has to kind of fit as well. And the problem is with Paul Mitchell is that he would probably want to be sporting director. Let's be honest, like that's the kind of equivalent role that he'd be looking at. Now we know it's obviously broken today so we can talk about it a little bit more but Paul Mitchell kind of said no to Man United so when I think when it became you know blatantly obvious that Dan Ashworth was the choice of 
of the Ineos board and that was the way they were going to go, I think Paul Mitchell kind of said, well, I don't really want to be in consideration for either a head of recruitment job or, or a football director's job. Now, again, I must stress the the actual job title itself is not the most important thing. It really isn't. Wilcox could come to Man United either as a football director, which is what he currently is. He's run academies before, but it's all about who runs what in the football structure and the pyramid of what you do as a football club and as a business. And that he will be reporting obviously directly straight into Ashworth, who will be overseeing all of these elements. And we talked about the Ineos guys there, Browsford, obviously Ratcliffe as well to an extent, also Jean-Claude Blanc, is that they are they work for Ineos. There's other things, they have other projects to run as well. So they're trying to get people to, to do these things for them. So they're a little bit more hands-off. So you can actually have these conference calls with all these elite thinkers on there and you can find strategy through that on a kind of day-to-day basis. So, I mean, you look at Wilcox, what he's done at Southampton, highly regarded, left Manchester City for for another opportunity again, talked to people at Man City about him um, in the past, but also today. And they all say the, the, they didn't want him to go. It was one of those people that they thought they could stay at the club and develop. You just said there was a player, one of the things that's going around social media today, um, and it is relevant, is that he talks a lot about his own career when he was a player and about his own failures. And he was like, the reason why I think I've kind of gravitated towards this job is because I actually realised that kind of more people fail than they do, they do succeed. And that's helped me make decisions with younger talent. And you mentioned it again there about, about when he was at City. Um, you know, he was the guy that kind of pushed through the Phil Foden generation. You know, Phil Foden is kind of directly responsible from him. Also, Oscar Bob, any of those players that come through in the last few years, he was the guy who had his fingerprints all over that. So Man United needs someone like that. It needs someone to come in and be a football director and bridge that gap between club and team and manager recruitment and also then the sporting director who will be on the board and then obviously Jim Ratcliffe as well who's the one paying for it all um and I think it's I think again it would be a shrewd appointment I think he's maybe at that stage where he's done really well at Southampton and people like what he's done this is a natural step you know whatever you want to call it football director head of recruitment I don't know I think these names just don't mean anything um football director used to be the common one that was used years but that's just changed to all sorts of different things now it's more important about what he's doing actually at the football club and at Carrington yeah uh there you go Rob uh lots of positive stuff happening I I think I I agree with you on, on Wilcox I think um you know I think just to summarize save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's really, it's just really encouraging that a lot of this is happening quickly and without any real word of it coming out <laughs> as well, which is, which is kind of nice. And we like know, that. and we like, and that. We, we do like that. That's how you run. Yeah. That's how you run a football club properly. That's how some people will be really properly. disappointed in the Paul Mitchell thing. Like I know I've had lots of people yeah. respond to us on, on socials over many months. And the whole Paul Mitchell thing was a little bit of a dream because I think the Ranyak connections and all of that. And people were like, Oh yeah, putting two and two together and making six. Well, I think the whole thing with Paul Mitchell is that as soon as you decided Ashworth was your guy, then kind of Paul Mitchell does fall out of the picture a bit. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes next because from what we hear, he has got something lined up and that's part of this. Um, when you go down to the next tier, then you're looking around, aren't you, for someone who can come in and help with the actual project at a director level, for some for someone who's a football director or head of recruitment. And, and I think Wilcox is perfectly suited to that in this stage of his career, making that next step. Question from Ashish. Hi, guys. Hope everyone's well. Two questions, Rob. Why are we a serious club all of a sudden? Have you been Ineos? watching the whole show? If you haven't been watching the whole show, like I think it's we've okay. Done. We can answer them, Scott. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> uh, and does and two, does a sign like Frankie de Jong happen now with our new structure? Do you know what? Frankie de Jong 
might not happen at all now, right? And I, and I'll be and let's be straight up about this. Why? Because we just said only ten minutes ago that you don't need to go to Barcelona to go get your next players. You don't need to go to Real Madrid to get your next players. Frankie De Jong's going to cost a lot of money. He's on what four fifty five hundred grand a week at Barcelona. He's on an exor absolutely over the top mad contract, which is why Barcelona shopped him for a whole year and wanted to get rid of him. And are probably going to do the same again this summer. I like Frankie De Jong. I really, really do. But I actually think you've now got a board structure and a set of people that might look at Frankie and go, well, he's really good. We're not buying for Eric Ten Hag. We're buying for Man United. We're buying for the future. Yeah, so we don't want to spend that money. Oh, who are we buying for? A partner for Kobe Manu. Well, Kobe's 18, 19, 20. We're going to go get someone around that age bracket. We're going to go find, you know, I know you didn't like the Joe Bellingham thing that I spoke about before, Scott, but you might look at someone like that and go, well, do you know what? I'm happier doing that and building the project step by step by step. Because Frankie de Jong might get you here. But let's be honest, Scott, I'll ask you this question straight up now. You sign Frankie de Jong tomorrow, do you win the league? Sorry, I you... needed to press the unmute button. Uh, well, no, you, of course you don't. No, you don't. And also, so, like, if, like, if, yeah, go if on. that's the case, sorry, if that's the case, then going for these global stars or people who are kind of at, at the top of their games or on big contracts already is actually more of a risk than going and get a Joe Bellingham, who you could probably get for 40, 50 million and, and put him on the path towards what you want. Now, I only mentioned Joe because we've spoken about him in the past. I'm not saying he's absolutely your perfect player. But the reason why you go for the Lavia type market, which, which when we did our transfer shows in the summer, we spoke about why Chelsea did that. We also were kind of miffed why Chelsea was spending £250 million on two defensive midfielders. It doesn't make sense. So I think Man United here might look away from Frankie and might actually go, do you know what? He's just too expensive. And do you know what? Eric Ten Hag might not be our manager in the summer. So why are we going down that path of looking for ex-Ajax uh, players? Because let's be honest, it hasn't completely worked, has it? Yes, indeed. A, a question or a statement from K7. Rob, I need FPL help. I'm just telling you, K7, I'm three points ahead in F of Rob in FPL. So come to he me, is. not Rob. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know. He should be doing the FPL shows. Like, it, it, it's, I think I think my team's about 600,000 this year, which really is bad for me. I'm always, I always try and be in the top 100,000. So I'm working there. Actually, no, I'm about 300,000 after last week. So a decent week. But uh, yes, I will be definitely doing some FPL content on my channel now in the weeks and months ahead at some point. Uh, Harrison. Robert Scott, have either of you seen Jassim's proof of funds yet? I haven't seen Jassim. What does he look like? I, you literally have you even seen him anyway uh, that that's in the past now but look, look somebody else is in and somebody else is making a positive impact yeah. uh question from jeff realistically when estimated timeline would you know be ready to compete consistently what do you expect in each summer according to that timeline um like just to me rob for for a second um i think united have a lot of contracts that mm. are problematic. I don't think you can really see that completely overturn. I'm not saying they won't get better, but I don't think you can see that completely overturn unless they until they figure out a way to offload those contracts and replace them with players that are more suited to the manager's system. And I would also add, somebody commented earlier like about wanting Eric Ten Hag to have a year under the structure. Mm. And I would like Ten Hag to finish the season well and to get that extra year because I feel like He's shown enough before his time at United to prove to me that he can play football in a way that we all want to see. It's just there's limitations that he's working with. And obviously that it might it might be the case that they, they pick someone else anyway. That would be my preference, but sorry, Rob, your 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 turn. Oh no, what was the question again? My turn on what? <laughs> Realistically, when would Man United be ready to? Oh continue? right, okay, yeah. Sorry about that. I, I, I think I was reading the comments there as we go around. Someone said, "Rob, you owe us a hot take," and my hot take was going to be we're going to lose to Luton. So there you go. There's my hot take. Um, how long do I think it will take? How long's a piece of string? You know, I just think at the end of the day, United with this project now, being completely honest, it might take two or three years. Like Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool did take two or three years. Pepper at City did take a couple of years to kind of elevate the project because you've got to just rely on the fact, and you talked about contracts there, Scott, so you've still got a ton of players that are not good enough. You've got a ton of players that are not good enough and you've been building this squad for 10 years with a ton of players that are not good enough. 
So all of that's to change and it does not change overnight. You might see some instantaneous success, like you might see two, three signings come in the door next summer. Man United look more of a football team and they kind of do better. But we already came third last year. Like, where do we go? Well, we want to come second or first, don't we? That's the truth. So when we talk about, you know, how how quickly do we get there, you've also got to rely on the fact that there are other teams competing with you, that Man City are still there, that Liverpool are kind of there or thereabouts, and obviously we'll have a new manager in the very near future. And what can you do around that? And I think the good thing is, Scott, I think the earliest days here, Ineos are trying to mimic the com- the competition. The people that won stuff, they've looked at it and they've gone, this works, you know, we use the word best in class again. But you look at the best in class, how do they do it? Can we mimic them? Is it plagiarism or is it, you know, are we copying them? Or is it actually us taking it for Man United and making it a fresh Man United? And I think it's the latter, you know, and I think the United, we've got to be patient now, two to two, three years down the line. Um, Eric Ten Hag, he will be judged by results as every manager is. But it wouldn't surprise me if that we kind of get to summer and that, and that is an appointment that they do change. They do change the manager because it's about what they feel comfortable with the coach. And that's what that's really what Dan Ashworth will have to decide whether he wants his next Eddie Howe. And obviously, then as you just said, you mentioned there about it not working with Eddie Howe very recently. His next Graham well, Potter. I think Graham Potter's the one. <laughs> yeah. I, I, his I, next I, Graham Potter. I think they work quite well together. For it. Graham, Graham Potter, obviously, there's, there's the kind of Brighton links there, isn't there, as well, is that, you know, again, not particularly a sexy appointment but might fit into the new Man United in your structure. You know, might be someone that you just want to bring in long-term for, for their football clubs and Man United being the biggest one. So, yeah, I'm 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 down with that. That's, that's kind of how I think it might well go. And I think Eric needs to be really good between now and the end of the season. If he wants to be manager next season, his, football team, Absolutely his football team has to be really good between now and then. And yes, we've seen glimpses. And I think when players are fit, that helps. I haven't seen maybe the tactical jumps and stuff that I would like to see, but I think that's something he has to prove now between the summer, because if you're going to buy players and there's, you, we talked there about style, didn't we as well, is that I don't think we have a style just yet, but if you want to be Man City, then we kind of, I think they'll be telling Eric that. I think they'll be saying to Eric Ten Hag for six months, we want to see progression in these areas. And that's on you because you're the coach. I, I agree with that, but I'm just going to do this, right? We'll, we'll finish up in five minutes. But I'm going to read out all the signings United have made under Eric Ten Hag, right? How many of these are long-term signings that Eric Ten Hag can have over the next five years? Terrell Malassia, one. Christian Eriksen, short-term signing. Lisandro Martinez, two. Casemiro, we know he's already got a sell-by date. We're already seeing it. Three, Anthony, cook him. Fair enough. Martin Dubravka, loan. Jack Butland, didn't play for us. Bout Veghorst, Marcel Sabitzer, Mason Mount, that's another one, Johnny Evans, Andre Onana, Rasmus Hoyland, Altai Vyandir, Sofian Amrabat, and Sergio Reguilon. A lot of those players are short-term signings or loans. Mm. So how many of those players really can you see being here under 10, let's say Ten Hag had five years. How many of those players would see out the entire five years with him? Not many. So when you're talking about implementing a philosophy... Look at that list of players and look how many loans there are and how many, like, there's a free transfer. Ericsson, Ericsson's a, it was a smart sign at the time, but obviously we knew, we're seeing it now. We even saw it mid last season. That he has his own limitations. I would expect maybe Ericsson to leave at some point. But all of those players, like, how many of those signers they make with a football structure that knows what they're doing, that target players that they, they know that they want to sign and mm. they're going to buy players who are 21, 22, 23 that can be at United for 10 years. Like that's that's how Man City do it. That's that's how, how all good clubs do it. That's Every how Arsenal club. do it. Yeah. yeah. Every good club has that as their basis and their philosophy. That you go in and you're buying young and you're developing and you're thinking more Kobe Manu than you're thinking Casemiro. That is the way you have to be. And do you know what? In the short term, Casemiro might win you more games than a Kobe Manu. But the reason why you play Kobe is because that's your future. That's where you're going. And you have to do it now. And if you do it now, you take the pain. And then in the future, 
you have that progress. I just want to catch up some of the comments that's got there. Someone saying there about um about Potter and about you have to go for a world-class manager. Again, I think that's debatable. Like go for a world-class manager. What does that mean? Does that mean a Mourinho? Does that mean you go for a Pep? Does that mean a Klopp? Well, if they're there, then yes, you go get them. But I actually think you need to go to the next tier down. You have to go find people that are going to come on the journey with you and, and you invest in them and that they improve over time. I think when you look at it, Arsenal obviously went and got Arteta. How many clubs did Arteta manage before then? You know, we talked about Xavi Alonso, didn't we? Only five minutes ago in our other show and about there. How many clubs has Xavi Alonso managed? Like, so, look, at everyone's talking about Xavi Alonso being the best thing in the world. Yeah. He's not even had a season at Bayer Leverkusen. At 30 games is coached. Tenog won three league titles and one yeah. went deep in the Champions League with Ajax. And now we're already turning around saying he's got no style. He's got no, he's got no idea. I know he's in a better league, but you know, yeah, and I think Ten Hag matches what I've just said there. Like he's in, he's in, he's one of the coaches of like you can develop a squad with him and he will develop with you. So I, I don't go in for this world class. I think football fans get obsessed with this about you go get someone that have to be world class. Well, I'd rather have a world class board that made the right decisions than constantly just going for the next big name because I don't think that works. Not really. I think with Man City with Guardiola, I think it's a really unique situation because Guardiola is you know best of his generation in my opinion and I, and I think that they were building a style of play from before he even got to the football club and I kind of think that's where United are now is that they'll, they'll look to build this style of play with or without Eric Ten Hag like that won't be he won't be responsible for those things. His job will be to win football matches and put teams together. So that, like you said, the reading out all of that list of, let's be honest, absolutely kind of corrupt signings. That's horrible recruitment, isn't it? Like really is that, that list of players just, and that's what the manager has been dealing with. I, and I know he's he, had like, to... he deserves criticism. Yes. But how can you expect him to implement everything that you yeah. want to see from his philosophy with a list like that? Totally, totally. Look, you know, we saw it the other game the other day. You've got an injury. Luke Shaw goes off. You haven't been on Victor Lindelof left back. Like, it's not ideal, is it? So there's all of this there. And I just think with Eric Ten Hag, the problem is, Scott, and I think this is kind of how it will either end or move on with the manager, is that all of these things are not his fault. You know, when we talk about just style and all of this, but now he's got a boss above him and will have a structure above him to support him. He will now have to tick a few boxes and that will come in the next six months. And if he can tick those boxes, I don't, I've got no problem with him. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll, be, he'll come. I think he'll stay at Man United. They'll give him better players. And I think he can coach them into a better team. Um, I did say as well, I put something out a couple of days ago about uh, Delo and about Wambasaka. When we look at their metrics, Wambasaka's metrics have massively improved in the final third in terms of getting expected assists. And Delo's defensive metrics have massively improved and i said that's eric ten hog it's coaching yeah so there's a lot of things like that that get missed because we we have preconceptions about it and i've criticized both those players in the past especially delo when you actually look at the metrics it supports what a manager is doing behind the scenes and that's what we'll be seeing with, with dan ashworth will be doing like i think we we said there about the quote about henry winter what he said scott earlier on about even saying that he's got this laptop full of players and metrics and that's how he manages and that's how he's a, as, as a sporting director and i think we're going to see a lot more of that now i think we'll be able to you know the nuts and bolts of creating a great football club because you've got the right people doing the right jobs right we'll wrap up in a second just a couple of comments left uh, Ten Hag said, Jeff says Ten Hag was an upcoming jewel only a couple of years before I'll yeah. stick with him and support him. And I, that's kind of where I sit as well. Obviously, he has he has to prove. Yeah, you know, I'd have to be better positioned in the league and play better football. But I think if... But that's right. He has his, his contract's up at the end of next season as well. So, I mean, he's yeah. got, I think he's got an extension clause in it. Mm. I, I think he, I think he, and like I said the other day, I think he's owed a fair shot. Maybe not owed, maybe that's the wrong word. But he... I would like to see him have a fair crack at it under a structure that supports him. Um, and Andy says, uh, Jeff, totally in your corner on that. And uh, final comment of the show before we wrap up. Who would have thought getting executives would be so exciting, says K7. It's hey, sad, like, <laughs> but th unfortunately, this is how you look at Liverpool, right? Everyone sees mm. Jurgen Klopp every day. You don't see the work Michael Edwards did. Exactly. You don't see that. You don't see... The, the people around him. You don't see the Julian Ward continuation. You don't see how important Edu has been to Arsenal. Maybe he's a bit more visible than Michael Edwards was. Mm. But he is so imperative to Arteta's success. 
And all these people that are behind the scenes at Man City, Pep often says, I couldn't have done this without Soriano or without Bagiristein. Mm. You know, like it, it's not a one man or one, one person odyssey where they'll fix no. absolutely everything. They need help. It's just in Liverpool as well there, like you said, I, I, I interviewed Billy Hogan years ago and Billy Hogan is the boss at Liverpool. He's the big chief there and is part of the FSG group. And we spoke for like two or three hours about stuff really. And you know what we spoke about most of the time was the Boston Red Sox because he was part of the Red Sox revolution and, and the Red Sox are my baseball team. So we talked about that for ages. And what you realise is that all these sports interlink and that's why it's fine that you don't have to come from a football background in, in that element, but you have to create a football environment. And that's what he, they created FSG at Liverpool. And guess what? They won a title and they won a Champions League. So these things, they might not have had repeated the success that they maybe wanted to have, but it starts there, doesn't it, Scott? Is that you've got to have a boardroom where these things are supported. And we have spent so long, and I've seen in the comments there, someone doing a Glazer out chant there. And we all want the Glazers out. But this is the next best solution. The next best solution is to pay them their dividends, shut them up and push them away across the Atlantic Ocean and just stay away from us. That is the best thing we can hope for because I think we never want it to be a nation state plaything. And I think now you've got you've at least got a company here that will be able to push these these merits that we want forward all the time. It's so, so, so important. So the, I'm not getting excited. Like I said, I don't support Jim Ratcliffe or Ineos in that way. I support Man United, but they're doing the right thing for Man United. So therefore, we can be a little bit excited. Right. Luton away on Sunday. Like you say, Rob, we, we could end up losing this game. We won't do too much on it today, but we'll talk about it uh, next week when uh, we're back. Maybe you'll even see some things, some more things happening. I don't know. If, if we need to do an, another emergency podcast, maybe we will. But yeah, United play Luton on Sunday afternoon. Hopefully mm. they can continue the form that they have been, the winning form. That's a tough say, game. Maybe not performances. It's, it's a difficult game, it is. And they gave Liverpool yeah. a good game there. Um, but United have won at tougher places. They won at a tougher place probably last weekend at Villa. So you just hope that they can get some consistency together and start picking up some positive results and moving forward to continue the the good feeling that's starting to grow. I can see some and, Red Sox uh, fans in the in the comments there. So hello to the Red Sox fans. I'm generally a Boston sports guy. I'm a Boston Celtics fan as well. So that's why I'm a Red Sox fan, yeah. even though they own Liverpool. Isn't that a shame? Yeah, indeed. Make every podcast live, guys. Um, like says Masterclass used to be. It was live. We always just did live, live, live. But, yeah, maybe maybe we could do lives. I mean, we're moving offices soon, moving studios. Mm. You're seeing me today, if you're watching on YouTube, a studio background that I do all my, my other videos in. Uh, that will be actually in my office, so we'll see. Maybe we could do more. I'm asking for a lot, says Kerwin, but we deserve some post-match analysis. Hey, we'll see. Big up to Rob, says K7. And uh, right, that's it. We're, we're going to go now because we've been going for an hour and seven minutes. Big thanks to everyone who's watched us on YouTube today. And uh, if you haven't subscribed already on Spotify or Apple, you can you can listen to us back. Please subscribe there. Give us a nice five-star review and uh, leave us a nice comment as well. I think that really helps our, um, our ratings there. But yeah, impromptu live pod today scott and rob big thanks to rob and uh big thanks to everyone who's been watching big thanks to you if you're listening a bit later on after the live show on audio as well subscribe wherever you get your podcast the promise under man united podcast like the video subscribe leave a comment hit the notification bell as well so you never miss a show and the socials are that at double underscore scott saunders at underscore rob underscore p and at tpl mufc big thanks to rob i've been scott until next time everyone Looks like Man United are getting their act together, maybe slowly. So uh, feel a bit more hopeful, a bit more positive, and we'll see where it all takes us. Until next time, this has been The Promised Land. See you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.